0: This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end.
1: Hey, friends. Mike here. You might have noticed it's been a little quiet here at the Limited Upside HQ over the last few weeks, even though the playoffs have been awesome. And that's because we spent the last few weeks moving over and finalizing our move to Blue Wire. Yes, we are part of the Blue Wire podcast network now. I'm super excited to join Don with the team there. They have great fan-centric podcasts that fit in so well with the voice that we have here at Limited Upside. You know, we may be a little more obsessive about basketball than the average person. We may pay a little more attention, but really, we're just, we're just fans talking about a game we love. And that's the spirit of Blue Wire's podcast that I really love. Uh, they got some amazing team-specific podcasts, some really fun listens. Lakers Film Room, Light Years. Cash considerations with my boy Ricky O'Donnell on there a lot. Uh, just some great podcasts. I'm sure I'm missing a ton. And they've got some new cool new stuff going on with Baron Davis. Uh, and as you probably heard, because you heard the ad for it, Greg Olson, the tie down. Anyway, nothing's really going to change about limited upside. Other than that, you're going to get more of it. You might get some ads in the middle. Um, but we're going to come at you every week. Uh, we're going to have some great guests. Uh, And it's going to be the same as ever before. So I'm really excited to make the change. Shout out to Tyler Chin. Shout out to Kevin Jones. Shout out to Sam Esfandiari. They were the ones that helped make this possible. And shout out to The Limited Upside's first producer, Varun Shankur. Really excited. Big Wizards fan. Super excited to have you guys all aboard. So the Limited Upside party is growing. And with that, I guess we should just get on with the show, shouldn't we? Welcome back to the Limit Upside Podcast. I know it's been a little while. We're sorry about that. We have been completing our much-anticipated over to Blue Wire, a uh, much-anticipated move. Uh, to celebrate for our first podcast, we've got regular guest Ben Epstein. Hello, Ben. Hey, Mike. And we've got Michael Pina, another regular guest who now writes for GQ and pretty much every website on the Internet. Is there a website that you haven't written for these
2: playoffs Great question, Mike. Um, I can't think of one. I'm just going gonna... <laughs> well, to... I can. SB
1: Nation. Other than that. <laughs> Other than that. Um, I was going to go
2: there, but then I didn't. <laughs> I'll,
1: I'll I'll take the blame. Um, so anyway, let's talk about... It's, we're not going to talk about Houston, L.A., even though that's, I think, the, one of the most compelling series in a long time, because that game is tonight. But I want to talk about three different teams in this week's inaugural Blue Wire episode because I get the sense that this is the best kind of title race where every team's got a little bit of an issue, a little bit flawed. Uh, And to me, that's, like, really exciting. Um, But it is interesting. I can't remember the last time we've had a wide-open title race like this. Um, So let's see. Where do we want to start? Do we want to start with the Bucks' demise? I know they haven't lost yet. Uh, They're down 3-1. They they probably will have played as – You've, you've listened to this, but they are most likely done this season. It's hard to believe that they're going to come back from 3 0 down. We don't know Yannis Tsukumbo status. Mike, I know you, last summer, if I believe you wrote a piece for SV Nation about how the Bucks really messed things up. With the way they approached the summer with the decisions they made with the contracts they handed out, they capped themselves in that take didn't look so good when they were fifty three and twelve It looks quite good right now <laughs> so give me here's your chance to gloat i mean what does this are you surprised at all by what
2: Miami's doing? I'm not surprised um i I mean this is kind of an indictment of how Milwaukee plays basketball, which is so rigid and I feel like it, it speaks to this greater thing that we're seeing right now across the NBA where versatility has always been wonderful or it's been wonderful over the past five years but even more better you get more better <laughs> Um, has been uh, flexibility in what you do with your versatile players. And so when you have Giannis and you have Middleton and you have uh, Bledsoe and some other uh, rangy wings and athleticism on your team and you really play this drop coverage regardless of what's going on or who who the offense is. Um, it's a little frustrating to watch, and they're up against a team that is probably the most adaptable team in the NBA. One of, I mean, the Raptors are certainly in that conversation. The Celtics are certainly in that conversation. But, like, the types of, the type of style and schemes that the Miami Heat can execute, um, really puts them at a distinct advantage over Milwaukee. So I think that's what we're seeing right now. And, man, I just wish Bud would, like, let his hair down and unbutton the top tie and just uh, unbutton the b- top button and just like switch it up a little bit, man. It is, his,
0: hair, his hair is down. It's on his face now. Fair <laughs> point. <laughs> I mean, I, I agree. I think one of the biggest trends, and, again, I love the idea that everything is quite literally in, in a bubble, or we don't have to use the term in a vacuum, but right now it's versatility, wing scoring creation from multiple guards off what is considered a more spaced out court. And, and ultimately, like, I look at this, look at the whole progression um, of the way that the games are going as it is almost impossible for a team who is predicated upon going in to out to do what the teams who are going outside to in are doing. So that right now, you look at Miami, Boston, Toronto, the Clippers, but to a lesser extent, the Lakers, who I think play try to play bigs, but ultimately when they were winning, it's because they put a couple more guards on the court. I honestly think that what we've seen now is just like, a again, a progression in multiple years forward of where the game, it's like what the Rockets are in theory trying to do, which is push everything about two, three years ahead of the curve. And now everyone who's left in this bubble, which we're seeing play in and out you know, on a nightly and daily basis, aside from the Bucks, and Denver is sort of in their own realm because Jokic is such a unique character to have on the court. Yes, he's a big, but he's also a pass-first perimeter player too. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is it feels like the, team that's, the teams that do that the best right now in the bubble are the Celtics uh, and the Heat. And And I wonder if that when they play each other, we're going to see one of the most you know, cross-mismatched series in NBA history. Quite literally five guys guarding five guys. Uh, and when I say when they play each other, it's because the Celtics have already advanced. If you're listening to this. Okay. Um, All right. You're um, just I'm trying to
1: drink. You're just trying to drink. I'm
0: something. just playing. I'm just playing. But, yeah, that, that, is, that is interesting, though, to think as that, like, Giannis is a center. Mike, you've talked about this before. He's more Shaq than he is. Maybe he's not a center, but he's more Shaq he's, than he is other players, right? He's
1: modern Shaq. I modern mean, that's how that's the way I look at him because I mean he's not catching the ball in the low post, but it's still the same sort of how the hell can I tell if this is a physical normal move versus like an offensive foul and this physical mm-hmm. like it, you see the same dilemmas of how he's officiating, how he's right. used.
0: Well, can I ask you this, Mike or Prater? Would a team be successful playing through actual Shaq right now?
1: No, not through actual Shaq.
0: Right. I mean, so why, why is modern day Shaq any different? Why? Why are we? Why didn't more people see this coming? Like like Pina did. Well, so here's the question then. I mean, there are two ways. So if you're going to ask that question,
1: you're going to say that they're doomed no matter what Coach Mike Boonholzer did. But it sounds like what what Pina is saying, and I think I most people are saying right now is that if you look at the blame for this loss. It's on Mike Budenholzer's shoulders more so Mm -hmm. because they're not changing their pick-and-roll coverage. They didn't really change it all season, and now they're trying to change too much on the fly, and they're playing a team where they just can't play their their normal Mm -hmm. drop coverage. He's not playing Giannis big minutes. He just played Chris Middleton big minutes in the only game that he could. Um,
0: He lived to to tell about it, too.
1: You know. I don't know if – can you can it be both? Can it be that this team is fatally flawed and that Mike Budenholzer is the key reason for why they're lost at this stage?
0: I, I Pina, you dive into that one.
2: I mean, I, so basically kind of what you're saying a little bit is Mike Budenholzer is to blame, for sure, for some of his inflexibility. But also, like – was he forced to be inflexible because of Giannis' limitations? I don't know. I'm, I, that, if that's the
1: question, then it, I think it, it helps to define what are the limitations of Giannis in that context. Like, offense, offensively, I mean, certainly his lack of shooting, you might be saying, well, he has to play more small guys to put players around him. I don't know if I totally buy that because – when Giannis got the ball in the mid-post, which he waited two and a half games to actually try, they actually they did quite well. Now defensively, Giannis is a defensive player of the year, but I mean, I would you wouldn't say that Giannis is inflexible his game to play against a team like Miami, right? I mean that that is more of a scheme issue from Bud than it is a Giannis issue, right? We're really talking about is on offense.
2: Yes, no, no. I'm talking about strictly on offense. I'm talking about um. This guy who's, like, with Giannis, this guy who, um, modern-day Shaq, uh, unbelievable ability to get to the basket, finish at the basket, get into the paint, um, total nightmare in transition. But, like, we keep seeing, and it was, like, it's funny to, like, highlight his performance in an All-Star game, but... His inability to, like, when it's crunch time and the defense is loaded up in the paint and they're not letting him through, like, his inability to just pull up and hit a 12-footer. His, his like, his want and desire to hit, to shoot these, like, weird early shot clock threes as if to prove that he has that in his game when he's 3-for-14 in the series from behind the three-point line and should probably stop doing that, Um like... I just – I see Giannis, and I'm just like, he is the MVP of the regular season, but his weaknesses and flaws really highlight the difference and the chasm between regular season basketball and postseason basketball right now.
0: Yep. Yeah, I couldn't agree
2: more.
1: It's so funny that, like, regular season versus postseason, I was thinking a lot about that concept, this idea that there are teams built for the regular season and teams built for the playoffs, 82-game players, 16-game players, as Draymond Green says. And I spent a lot of time watching old basketball during the hiatus. And I don't recall this being as big a thing until recently, this idea that you had a team that racked up a ton of wins but was not built to win in a matchup sort of series. I, and I, I'm, I, it's been making me think about like, and, and the Bucks are sort of this crystallized example of this problem because they are, they just destroyed teams in the regular season, and generally when you destroy teams in the regular season over most of history, you're good in the playoffs too, but not recently. Recently, like maybe it's the low management, maybe it has something to do with how the game is played. Um, I just think it's, it's interesting, and I don't know why this is a thing now versus like. Back when the NBA, like 15 years ago, this idea of usually the best team won, with some exceptions, throughout history. But, I mean, now the best regular season team doesn't win most of the
2: time. Well, I mean, to push back on that a little bit, like, the last five years, we did see the best regular season team basically win the championship every time. Well, let's see. Golden State, did we? Okay. I mean, mean, when the Cavs. physically broken down, right? right? Like, it wasn't some strategic issue with them.
0: Right. And the Cavs purposely didn't care about the one seed.
1: Right. So the 2016, the Cavs win. They were not the best regular season team. 2017 and 2015, no question the Warriors are the best regular season team. 2018, Houston was the best regular season team. 2019 and 2020, the Bucks were the best regular season team. I don't know. Maybe some of it has to do with the strategic element of it, but I, I think it's interesting from a like sort of play style perspective with Giannis. Because when I hear everything that Pina is saying about Giannis, and I agree with that, you know, it, it seemed like he was working on his turnaround jumper during the season. That kind of went away from him. I was really disappointed about that. I think he tried to go from too far out. I would have liked to see more of him in inside. When I hear that, though, I, I start to think about the limitations of the roster more so than Giannis's limitations, and that goes back to last summer, I think, because you know, as great as Shaq was, he needed Kobe to win down the stretch of those games, and Chris Middleton had an amazing season. I think he was a little inconsistent in the playoffs. He wasn't quite himself, although he had the great game four. I think what we're really talking about is that they don't have any other real great shot creators, and they let one go to Indiana for
0: money. Every, every time Bledsoe – Pulls up for his hesitation three pointer where he goes right hand instead of crossing over to his left and then just pulls up and shoots a three. He airballs more than he hits rim, and I, and <laughs> I mean, and I, I maybe that's a little hyperbolic, but it's not that yes. far off. <laughs> then but that's also Brogdon's bread and butter too, is that he has a kind of a nice tight crossover, but when he wants to hesitate and pull his three, it comes from the same the same move. And he's a good shooter uh, and a better decision maker and a much, much better all-around basketball player. Um, and I think that decision has has emanated in the way that the Bucks play. But I want to go back to something real quick, Mike, that you talked about. There is, first off, I think home advantage would have mattered a lot to the Bucks. I think they're a team that wants to get fouled and play and this aggressive kind of physicality meets pace meets congestion, and that is a little overwhelming for teams that they don't get. And when you're seeing this bubble basketball where Giannis is – Number one, not getting some calls that he would have gotten. I think at the same time, Giannis is also pressing and is probably a weird mental component. I've been watching a lot of US Open tennis and a lot of basketball congruently. It is the most mental relationship to the sports success I have seen in my adult life watching sports. I, I can't really decipher. About, I'm trying. Yeah, go ahead. You're talking
1: about, like, Giannis. I mean, it, it also must be said, yeah. of course, that uh, the Bucks initiated all the
0: protests. Absolutely, of the Bucs have been at the, the epicenter of things, and, and to the credit of everybody in the NBA, from Chris Paul to the Bucs as an organization, to you know, to, to players who are uh, you know just representing their beliefs on the back of their jersey, it is an unbelievable responsibility, and not what your contract is about, but something you've taken on that is external to what you're doing, right? Uh, you know, under a microscope uh, for your job, and and so credit to all of them. But yes, I, I think there's a relationship to the. The home advantage not being there. There's a relationship to Giannis trying to get to the rim and, and essentially daring teams or teams I say defensively are daring those exact players we're talking about that the roster construction maybe maybe a guy like Pat Connington who's a really nice regular season player who isn't seeing the court very much. Guys like that are you know and that's where these teams that are really deep actually like actual depth like the Heat and Celtics where you can put a wanna maker on the court and know that he's gonna give you solid minutes good production, run point when you need to. Um, and, again, I should say Celtics are doing this all without, you know, their fourth best player, arguably, in yeah. you know, And that's well, impressive and shows the depth that they've had that, again, is real depth, not regular season. We're up by 15 and I just hit two threes in a row depth. And so I, I think there's a little bit of smoke and mirrors when it comes to that. But I also think that, you know, one reason why you dominate teams and earn that home court advantage, and that's just not the way it's going to be this year, is because it helps you. I mean, I watched the fucking Sixers win a million games this year at home. They sucked on the road. They got into the bubble. Things were different because Simmons got hurt. But, like, it would be foolish to think that these things don't matter, specifically to a team predicated upon aggression and physicality uh, like the Bucks.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some of that. Uh mm. But, I mean, I think it, we also should say that, like, it was very clear that Miami was going to be a tough matchup. Absolutely, I thought that the Buck, that Boone Holzer would adjust enough so that they could overcome them. That clearly didn't happen. But now the big question for Milwaukee is, and this goes back to Pina, what you wrote over last summer, is now what? We're not. We don't even have to say Giannis' Giannis's free agent situation. We don't have to do it from that perspective. Like it, he. He's had an inflection point in his career. Like, it's whether he decides to stay or not, like, you still missed a window and now you have to maximize a window. You had
2: one of the best players in the league. What do you do now? <laughs> uh, I mean, that's a great question, man. Like, it's so funny. As a small market team, you have this guy who is not yet in his prime, but he's approaching a contract decision. So you have to financially go all in and make a commitment to convince him to stay. But if you mess up any one of those decisions in a way that you're locked into and you have this uh, issue that cannot be solved, all of a sudden he's like, uh, yeah, we, it was really awesome that we went really far in the playoffs um, the last couple years. But like, we're locked in and now there's really no avenue for upward mobility because of the decisions that you guys made to convince me to stay in the first place. So it's like this terrible situation. And I talked to someone who actually interviewed for the Bucks job, the GM job a few years ago, and his pitch to management, or I should say his pitch to ownership was like, we are going to maintain flexibility up through Giannis's next contract and then Basically, go for the championship um, in terms of how we're constructing our roster after he signs the extension. So mm. we're going to be communicative to him and be like, "This is the plan. So if we don't go to the finals at some point over the next few years, that's okay. We have so much time. Um, you're the future. We're going to have young pieces around you. We're going to have uh, draft picks and assets and in cap and cap space and." And that's just, like, not the route, obviously, that they've gone. And they're one of the older teams in the league now. So it's like you can't really blame them for either route that they take because they were one wide-open Chris Middleton three in game three of last year's Eastern Conference Finals from going up 3-0 and probably winning the title last year. So, like, it's just the margins are so small. And particularly when you're a small market franchise, it's tough. All that said – They still should have re-signed Malcolm Brogdon, and that is a deplorable decision. So
1: the the logic for not signing Brogdon that was not financial, which I think most of it was financial, the logic that seemed to persist during the season is that in losing Malcolm Brogdon, you basically got twice the Chris Middleton. Because Middleton and Brogdon, Middleton didn't have a great season uh, under Bud Ball that first year, and it clarified his role. He got bringing in West Matthews, meant that Middleton didn't have to take the tough physical assignments. I'm just stating the logic at the time, and that down the road, like, okay, you lost Brogdon, but Middleton would be that much better and would sort of close games for you. That obviously didn't happen, Um, but that I think was part of it. Now, your 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 friend who was talking about, or not your friend, but the person you're talking to you about the pitch that he made. I mean, wouldn't wouldn't Giannis just be like, "Oh, that's cool. Well, you didn't win anything with me. I'm out of here." And then you end up with nothing.
2: <laughs> well, he didn't get the job, so I guess <laughs> I'm probably sided with you there. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah so tell me I, more about your interview with Brian Colangelo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I I think that you know one of the things that. Last thought on the Bucks, and Ben, I know you have to go, and then like nope. let's talk about the Clippers and Celtics, I think, two, who would be my finals pick right now for what it's worth. Um, the Bucs had made a lot of unforced errors, I think, early in Giannis's tenure. Like, we're talking, like, 2016, 15. The Greg Monroe contract really didn't work out. Um, they had to trade a number of draft picks to get off money for guys, I think, like, they made a lot of bad signings in John Henson. I think Miles Plumley. they gave a ton of money to. Uh, some of these moves, certainly like kind of the Jason Kidd uh, as coach didn't work out. So I think they kind of were starting already behind the eight ball. And if you look at a lot of these guys that they've brought in and a lot of the sort of moves they made, a lot of them have been like kind of we're adding talent and money but losing age in draft picks. And now you look at their roster, they have no young talent really to speak of.
0: Um, and, and versatility too, Mike, like the multi-dimensional player, like Mark Lopez does one thing on offense now Yeah. and one, you know, one thing on defense and, and Matthews is a one-dimensional player. And like, this is, this is where I see the, the versatility relationship that the Sixers are in the same boat. We have all of these guys who can not dribble and not pass, but they can hit maybe an open shot. Or they can play defense, but they can't play offense. And, like, that's not where the league is now. And that's not where basketball in 2020 is. There's too much skill to have guys who don't have a fully, you know, vested skill set. Like, and the Bucks have a lot of those one-dimensional guys. I mean, they really do. And and, they're, and those are things you can cover up through 82 games with a player as great as Giannis. I mean, that that feels pretty... Top level, like you don't have to be the mastermind Prada or or the you know insider like Pima here to kind of see that like you, the, the Heat have more guys who can do more with the ball in their hand or when they don't have the ball in their hand and they're moving off the dribble. And, yeah. and same thing with the Celtics. Same thing with the Raptors. Same thing with the Clippers.
2: Yeah. Real quick, like mm. I was asked. So I I, I was, did, did a podcast earlier today with Ben Goliver, um and we were talking about how where the series would be if uh, the two head coaches switched at the beginning of the season. Hmm. And, like, no offense to Bud, but Bam Adebayo, in my opinion, Bam Adebayo would never have become an all-star. Uh, Duncan Robinson would not have had the uh, historic shooting season that he did. Tyler Hero would probably be averaging, like, 12 minutes a game. Actually, maybe he averages 12 now. But he would not have the same role, you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Um, And so this, like, culture of emboldening and empowering your players that Miami has throughout 82 games, that's what they use 82 games to do when they get to the playoffs. All these guys are ready, and they're all ready for different roles and different responsibilities. Like, the Milwaukee Bucks can't just be like, yeah, we're going to switch everything now. Because they didn't do that during the regular season. Yeah, see, that's a really
1: important point, and that's uh, something I didn't really consider as much as I should have because, yeah, you can't just suddenly – I mean, and, and you see Giannis when he was on Jimmy Butler in game three, I believe. like. He got screened very easily. Like, he didn't defend him well. Um, so, yeah, that's a really good point. But um, that's the Bucks. We're going to take a quick break. Then we're going to get back to talking about, I think, two teams that are kind of the inverse Bucks in terms of regular season versus playoff uh, upside, the Clippers and the Celtics. This is the limited upside podcast. Time is of the essence with the Prada family. We've got a two-and-a-half-year-old toddler who is rambunctious and wild and all the great things that toddlers are. We've also got a seven-month pregnant wife who is working currently, uh, so she's a superstar. And then you have me, who isn't exactly the best cook in the world. So you know what's been really nice is having DoorDash there to order food when everything else in our life is going nuts. We just want to find something nice to eat for that night and get us through to the next day. DoorDash is the app that brings the food, you the food you're craving right to your door, and it's been a lifesaver for so many nights for us during the week. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite restaurants. I'll uh, shout out the main event in Plainview, one of our favorite places to go before the pandemic, and now a nice place to order from on DoorDash. But you can also get other national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Cheesecake Factory, or you can get some of your local favorites. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite spot, and your food is on the way. And right now our listeners can get five dollars off and zero delivery fees on the first order of fifteen dollars or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter code BlueWire. That's five dollars off your and your order and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the doordash app in the app store and enter code bluewire don't forget that's code bluewire b l u e w i r e for five dollars off your first order with doordash the limited upside podcast is sponsored by sunday ticket sunday sunday sundays are coming back in the nfl with NFL TV, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, you get Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite team and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key for the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket TV and use promo code BlueWire. Okay, Limited Upside Podcast. Ben is gone. Uh, Mike Pina is still here, and let's talk about the Celtics. I know you're very excited about this. You are a you are from the Boston area, so just so everybody knows your your bias. You have been high on this team for a very long time. I think you were high on this team in the preseason. You know you're high on everyone uh on the Celtics roster. And I think there was a moment maybe in February I was like, "Wait a minute, like we're overlooking these guys in the title chase." I don't remember, I think it was after the Oklahoma City game. And everything I'm seeing now is like exactly what I saw then.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I am I it's really difficult for me always to be super objective about the Celtics, but like I was maybe a little higher on them earlier than you in terms of are they a championship contender? And I use, like, data to find that. I mean, they have a top-five offense, they have a top-five defense. Um, There was a little concern about, uh, you know, who would be that guy in the playoffs because in terms of primary offensive option. And, uh, you know, at the time when you're talking about, like, January-ish, February-ish, is that kind of – Tatum was just starting to become that person. And so once he became that person, it was like, in my head, all right, like, if you have him as the the one the primary number one offensive scoring option, and then the pecking order is set where like Kemba's either the second option or the third option, your offense is like I don't know how you stop that offense. To say nothing of their bread and butter throughout Brad Stevens' tenure, which has been just uh, hard-nosed, uh, cohesive, communicative uh, versatility on the defensive end. So I look at them, and they've a lot of these guys have been to the playoffs. They've won playoff series uh, in uh, matchups where they were not expected to. Um, they're super young, like still had upside, so I just figured everything would get better and better as the year went on. And so, yeah, they look terrific. Um That OG and an OB3, notwithstanding, which I still will probably never get over in my head, even (laughs) though they're going to win the series. Um, Yeah, they look look terrific. They look terrific. And Jason Tatum is, uh, even though he has not really played well, I think, um, in the back half of this Raptors series, he is still clearly, in my eyes, the best player in the series and the best player um, in a potential matchup against the Miami Heat.
1: I would I would probably agree with that. I mean, I'm I'm struggling to see my opinion on Jimmy Butler's game changes by the day. You know, he's just such an interesting player, but you know what the the moment that really kind of clicked for me with the Celtics, I think they were playing Oklahoma City. It was a game in February, and I remember you noticed this at the time and I remember thinking this. They they were involved in a really close game at Oklahoma City on a Sunday afternoon and they were they were trying to figure out how to score. And every single time they went at Danilo Gallinari – do you remember this game?
2: Vaguely. Yeah. Keep talking.
1: But what, what really struck me about that game is that they, they used, I think, three or four different screeners each time for different players. It was always two people going at Gallinari, but it was a different two people in each role each time. Like, I think – there was one play where Tatum hit a jumper and Jalen Brown was the screener to get the switch. I think there was – I don't remember if Kemba played that game, but I'm pretty sure he was involved. I saw – like there was one play where Marcus Smart was the screener. There was one play I think where Brown – where Gordon Hayward was the screener. It Uh was just like Uh – I just remember thinking like, man, if you have a bad matchup in crunch time, it almost doesn't matter who the alpha on the team is or who – like do they have the guy because they're so good at getting – the matchup to be one of their good guys against one of your bad guys, it's like you almost don't need, like, a closer. Your closer is just the ability to force this matchup. And that versatility, I remember thinking to me myself, I was like, oh, wow, you know, that's going to be really difficult for any team to deal with in a playoff series. How do yeah. you plan that?
2: Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, and it's kind of similar to this piece I wrote a little while ago for 538 about, like, Uh, the high stagger screen that they give Kemba Walker Mm -hmm. where, like, first of all, their points per possession on those, whenever they run that action to initiate their offense is, like, through the roof, an absurd number. And you watch the film and it's, like, the first screen is to get a force a switch and Kemba, all of a sudden, Kemba has uh, a a weaker uh, defender on him who has to suddenly defend a pick-and-roll immediately. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, last night, or I, I don't know when this will air, but in their most recent game, game five against the Raptors, they run this play, Rob Williams sets the second screen, and he flips it, and I think it was, like, maybe Terrence Davis who had to uh, defend the action, and it was just like, he was completely lost. Like, yeah. had no idea what was going on, and Kemba just, like, skirts his way to the basket, past Marc Gasol for a layup. Like, so that action right there, I don't know how you defend it, and I think that that is like to speak of nothing about like Jalen and his ability to just catch and go to the basket and and hit spot up threes and Tatum's step back which is just like uh just an unfair move at this point like that action is unguardable in and of itself and yeah they're they're a very lethal lethal basketball team right now.
1: And the, the beauty of it, too, is that it forces, I mean, Toronto's defense is so good at sucking in off the wing and kind of packing the paint collectively. But because of the way Boston plays, there's, they're able to isolate Marcus Sol or Serge Ibaka and pick and roll defense. That's why bought, Toronto went to that, uh, Pascal at the five, OG, and Obi at the four lineup, which, I mean, I would say that worked, but then they just, they just had Bale and Brown roll on screens and they couldn't suck in. I just, it's so difficult. I, I think we all thought that this was a possibility if you look at sort of the collective talent they had. I was worried that those guys would get in their way too much, that there would be sort of pecking order issues before this season, that none of those guys are elite passers, so was it just going to be sort of a lot of off-the-dribble shooting? But they've really gelled, I would say, Brown, Tatum, and Kemba in particular, and I would add smart to this, I guess the Ford World Championship guys have gelled in a way that I didn't expect, and now it's just—I mean—they don't have a lot of depth. They, I, here's a question for you: How much do you think they really miss Gordon Hayward? Because I—I like don't know if he's really as important as his rep suggests to that team.
2: So my thoughts on him are that he is not one of the four most valuable players on the team. He might not be one of the five most valuable players on the team. But in terms of uh, General talent and just like It's really difficult to even Articulate what I'm trying to say right now So bear with me but like I think He's the fourth most talented player On the team but because of The just utter Like desert At the five position behind Tice Tice is just critical because Rob Williams Really is lost Out there when he's trying to defend a pick and roll um, And Cant Cantor Is he He was, like, the reason that that OG and an OB3 was even possible. Yeah. I mean, great. Um, so he's unplayable in a lot of these matchups going forward. Um, so Tice is, like, super valuable at the five, and he's really great because he doesn't need the ball and is uh, a super smart defender. Um, and then, like, I just think Marcus Smart is a player who changes games and doesn't need it, like, a play called in his name (laughs) not that they ever do um he'll just take it anyway (laughs) exactly I mean like then in his transition defense against Fred Van Vliet in the I think it was the second quarter in game five where he just ripped the ball away and then kept it in play uh and started a fast break in the other direction like plays like that are unquantifiably valuable to a basketball team in the thick of a playoff series and Gordon Hayward isn't really making plays like that. Um, Gordon Hayward increases your your flexibility on offense. He allows Tatum to play off the ball more. Jalen Brown is not a ball handler. He does not look for teammates when he catches the basketball. Um, I was actually looking up some data on Second Spectrum about uh, just, like, when these guys drive. when I say these guys, I mean players in the NBA. Um, <laughs> when, when, just looking at driving statistics and and kickout numbers, and, like, Jalen is near the bottom of the league in kickouts per 100 drives. And you watch him play, and that's not a surprise at all. Uh, Tatum has evolved a little bit as a passer. Kemba's obviously a great point guard. Um, but Gordon is really a guy who looks for teammates and looks to get everyone else involved. So he's, he's valuable in that sense. But, like, I'm kind of with you... I didn't necessarily think they needed Gordon to win this series. I do think to win a title, you probably need him.
1: Well, I guess it's better to have Hayward on the court than more minutes for Grant Williams or Shemi Jale or all these Green guys. William. Yeah, yeah. From that perspective, I guess I just I thought it was very interesting how people were saying like, oh, they're really in trouble now that they lost Gordon Hayward. I just to me like I just sort of didn't really see that. And I've also been a little surprised. I mean, like I have a ton of respect for Toronto and they they could still win this series. Technically, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's not over, but I was surprised that so many people were surprised that Boston matched up well with them. I mean, it kind of makes sense if you actually watch these teams. I just, I sort of felt like there was like, we, we, everybody realized they weren't giving enough respect to Toronto. So then they started to give too much respect to Toronto. (laughs) Um, and I, you know, I just thought that that was something that was going on. Um, I thought they would beat the Bucks if they matched up. I think the Heat, they will beat the Heat if they match up. Um, I think the, you know, I think Miami's a really good team, but I, I just think there are too many problems that, you know, Miami's got some weak points on, def- on defense that Milwaukee just isn't exposing, and I thought they would expose more, like their point of attack defense from a point guard. I, mean, I don't think they're going to I think they're going to struggle to guard Kemba in that series. And, you know, after that, then who knows? I mean – it's possible again if if you're always going, you're you're not you don't have the guy, but you're so good at creating the conditions on both ends. By the way, because they have all those scram switches on the back end to hmm. kind of keep Kemba out of uh, these key plays late uh, on defense. If you're just always have a, have the ability to create a favorable matchup, like that's a about as good as having Kawhi Leonard.
2: I. I guess yes. we'll see. <laughs> uh, I would rather have Kawhi Leonard. Um, I, I do think, you, you know, you bring up an interesting point about Kemba and the scram switching, and I've been surprised personally that Toronto has not gone after him in a way that you usually see, for example, like, you in know a, in, a, in a late playoff game, you'll see, like, LeBron try to run a 4-1 pick and roll. And I don't, I just don't understand. I mean, they've gone to it a little bit here and there. And Kemba, to his credit, is a feisty defender who gets in you and is, especially like when Pascal Siakam is the, 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 the scorer who's trying to go at him. Like, there's a fear of committing an offensive foul, I think, in a lot of guys' heads when they go at Kemba Walker. Um, but, I, you know, I would imagine that that will be something that Nick Nurse is looking at in the film and being like, we should go to this more often. But, again, or not again, but, like, he called out Pascal Siakam after Game 5 in a way that was pretty surprising to me. And it doesn't even – I mean, all of us is moot if Pascal is going to score 15 points in, in Game 6. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was interesting what Nick Nurse said about Pascal. You know I'm always – I'm a Pascal fan, um, but, you know, he has not He's had a any- – He's been bad. He hasn't had a good series, although it's it's actually funny. I think he's had a worse series on defense than offense because one of – I mean, he's had a bad series on offense. um, But one of the things that Boston has done really well, if you kind of really zoom these plays back – not zoom, rewind these plays back – is that Pascal's – their defense is so dependent on Pascal just flying all over the place – and it looks reckless, and it is reckless. And, you know, we talk about regular season versus playoffs. In the regular season, that recklessness is like kind of a feature because it speeds everyone up and everyone gets freaked out. But I think Boston's done a really good job of kind of running different cutters into different spaces, different sort of planned cuts. I think Marcus Smart has been great at this, where it takes advantage of Pascal running wildly on defense and his tendency to sort of lose sight at the first time and, moment and then try to make it up all of it with like this rapid closeout. I think they've really exposed that that weakness of his uh in this series and that's a big reason why I think they've been able to get a lot of open shots. You know, obviously their on-ball play is good, but if you kind of watch the swing, swing and the actions that they're doing at behind the ball, chances are at some point Pascal is a step late to start the rotation and then he's caught flying all over the place. Uh, I think that was a big key to game one. Uh, what was the game that Marcus Smart had, like a sixth reason in the first half? Game two. Or second half. Yeah, that was a big key to that game. Um, to your point about Kemba, I think Perron's trying and they can't do it. Like, Boston's finding ways to mix, to make it easier for him. They're switching out of these, these actions. You're seeing a lot of times if they bring Kemba's guy, they'll have someone make a scram switch before it happens. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what happened at the end of, what was the game where, Pascal went at Smart and Smart stripped him and nearly had that amazing play to to throw it from out of bounds, the behind-the-back play. Was that game one or game two? Yeah, one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I that, was, together with me, Mike. Yeah, that was a play, if you watch it, I think um, Half Court Hoops on Twitter noticed this first. <laughs> that was a play that was supposed to target Kemba, and the Celtics just moved Kemba around so that Smart was the one that was switching. You know, that's great coaching at uh, Boston. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think they're trying. I think it's tough. Uh, you know, maybe Pascal, maybe Jimmy Butler will be better at it than Pascal will be, you know, and then if, if they play in the next round, maybe that, that would be the case, but I don't know. Uh,
2: maybe not. <laughs> um, I think that the, I think Pascal, everything you said about his defense, um, like the closeout numbers are still really high in this series as they've been throughout the regular season and in the first round. Um, I don't know. Like you would expect – like Boston's transition defense has been terrific. And I think that there's a – like Pascal in terms of like – the refined like it's so it's tough to like compare everyone to Kawhi which I do in my head whenever I think about a star <laughs> just his ability to just any time he wants rise up for a 10-footer get to a spot rise up hit like knock down the 10-footer yeah. like at any point in the game regardless of the defensive coverage and like Pascal is just not even close to doing that in a way that really hurts him in the half court similar to similar to what we were talking about with Giannis and Boston isn't afraid of, like, they never double Pascal when Pascal is posted up or, or isolating at all, even though that, like, if you look at his numbers when he gets doubled in ISO situations, he usually turns it over. They don't care. Like, they're fine with having him play straight up, man man up with Marcus Smart, uh, with Kemba even, uh, mostly with Jalen, who's completely dominated him in the series outside of Game 4. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, like, at the end of the day, like basketball is, this series has so many different like X's and O's and um and and really interesting wrinkles to it. But like, when your best player or your ostensible best player, because I think Kyle Lowry might be their best player, right? When Pascal Siakam isn't good, and he's averaging 15 points a game, and he's shooting like 38% from the floor. You're just not going to win the series. It's as simple as that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess they still could technically, but yes, <laughs> um, no, I think it's right. I mean, I would. Say so that Pascal is never supposed to be that level of player. Um, you know, it's just it's, he's over, he's underqualified for the role they need him in. Which is fine; it happens. Um, I mean, the other thing too is that you you see this like they're sitting on his right hand when he spins back in the post. Like they know that that's his move. So Pascal's got to get uh, that left hand going for sure. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, I, I'm protective of my guy Pascal. What can I say? Um, but I agree. He certainly hasn't covered himself in glory. Ben is back. Hello,
0: I'm back. Okay. Trying to do a regular, uh, regular uh, you know, the day job, if you will. <laughs> so let's talk about the Clippers. I good timing. What
1: ever? There's this view going around. That the Clippers, really all season, that the Clippers are kind of a flip-the-switch team. It's very much was present in their first-round series with Dallas. You look at some of the losses they had in the regular season, the blowout Game 2 loss to Denver, the fact that they were trailing most of Game 3 until kind of the final stretch. This narrative keeps coming back up because you look at that team man for man, and it looks dominating. They, someone said they like kind of play like a team that's already won three titles, which I thought was really funny. I forget <laughs> who said that. <laughs> um, um, I don't know if I totally buy it. Like, I think the Clippers have more flaws than we let on them than are let on. Like, I, okay, I can I ask
0: they, you, can I ask you, Mike. Do you do you not believe in them having the switch or that switches exist?
1: I believe switches exist. I think, I think generally, what I would say, and this, and this is where maybe Pina can tell me if I'm wrong. I think that we too much is attributed to an ability to flip a switch and not enough is attributed to this seems really good, but they've got problems that are hard to overcome by any switch flipping. Mm -hmm. And I think the Clippers, there are elements, I think a lot of their problems are the type that we would associate with flip switching, but I think they maybe are more inherent in their personnel um and in the some of the players they have and and, and so, to some degree the personality of their superstars um but i i maybe i'm like overthinking something that's a lot simpler like mike do you believe they have a switch that they've just flipped that that's really what's going on here that explains them sometimes looking dominant and sometimes looking ordinary
2: yeah that's a really good question i think I think they're the the best team, and their ceiling is better than any other team in the league on both ends. Um, But, like, my thing with the Clippers is I don't – and maybe one of you guys can elucidate me here, but, like, what is their identity? Like, when I think of the Lakers, for example, like, they have AD, they have LeBron, but, like, I know their identity. It's like, we want to run because our half-court offense sucks. Like that, I just know. I know how they want to play. I know they want to be big. I know, like defensively, they want to pack the paint and uh, create turnovers and protect the rim, et cetera. Um, I just, I, I know what Houston is. I know what the Celtics are. I know what the Raptors are. I, I, when I think about these teams in my head, I know what they are. We were talking about the Bucks before. I know what the Bucks' identity is. I have no idea. I watch so many Clippers games. Like I don't have like an identity for the Clippers. I'm just kind of like. They have, in my opinion, the best player in the world. They have a guy who finished third in the MVP last year who's very, very good and might be one of the better players when we're thinking about 1Bs uh, or Scotty Pippins in the NBA right now. And so they'll be fine because that's the recipe. But, like, what is their identity?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's also – teams that rely, or at least, again, during the regular season, so much of the footprint of the Clippers is the second unit they bring in. It's not the starting unit. The series two weeks ago, Zubek was a much bigger part of it. And and I feel like even – and, again, I guess the question to that question is, is it – is it bad to not have a core identity? I was just about to say that. I, <laughs> I was
1: mean, just about to mention that because, I mean, you mentioned the Bucs. I mean, we would just spent a whole segment talking about how the Bucks had too much of an identity. Well,
2: well I would say real quick, like, the Bucs just have the wrong identity.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's fair. But, I mean, let's not beat around the bush here. Like, in some ways, aren't we kind of talking about Kawhi? This is a player who takes one out of every three games off during the regular season. <laughs> It's kind of hard yeah. to build an identity, you know. 100%. You know, and it, I think that's sort of um, something that is somewhat taken for granted when you look at the teams that Kawhi has played on in his career, a San Antonio team where he could kind of be just a higher gun that kicks ass and everybody else is the culture guy. And then that Toronto team I think is really underrated how much they have an identity. Look at what they've done this season. And so sort of they just need – the Clippers didn't have – have that infrastructure in the same way. And I think it must, I think it's something we took for granted a little bit.
0: Definitely. Paul, Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So go ahead, Mike.
2: Paul George is just kind of like, yeah, we hang our hat on defense. Doc Rivers last night was like defenses are, are, I don't know if he used the word identity, but that's what he was basically trying to say. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, like, that's not at all what – who thinks about defense? I know their defense is really good, but, like, who thinks about defense when you think uh, – correct me, Mike, do you disagree with that? Like, well, I know they have great defensive players and Pat Beverly and and Kawhi, obviously, and Paul George, but, like, I don't really think about defense when I think about it. I just think, like, they've got a lot of really great players. I think about the Lou Williams, Montrezl, pick and roll, and, like, it just all will eventually work. Yeah, <laughs> but unless it doesn't. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah,
0: I mean, it seems like it's kind of it's like a car that you trust to get you from point A to point B, but that ultimately it might not be the smoothest ride the entire time. And at other times, the air conditioning's blasting and the music's working well, and you're like, oh, "I'm in a pretty good car. This works pretty well." Bad analogy, but the point is, that it hasn't broken. Yeah, That's broken a bad yet. analogy.
1: I'm not going to. <laughs> <if, if, if laughs> it hasn't. It hasn't. <laughs> what
0: I'm trying to get at though is, it hasn't broken. Like. We we talk about the Clippers as if it's like when things are going bad that they're somehow not still a title contender when they are. And then when things are going well, the reason why we think they're a title contender are very apparent. So it's like I'm not sure. And that might go to the whole uh, relationship to not having a single identity and that they have you know two of the best six men of the last whatever decade on their team and that they come in together and that when they come in, it completely changes the way that they play basketball. Yeah. And the, the Clippers are not a team that brings bench players off to maintain a quote-unquote identity and, like, you know, you, uh, they, you know uh, give some time to your starters to relax as then they come in and the, the game is more or less the same. They do that to change. I mean, Doc's amazing at this, but they, they change the rhythm of games really well. Now, sometimes it doesn't work. Like, the second quarter, uh, yesterday it worked. But in the yeah, first quarter and when they made their first subs, and I think Kawhi played maybe, like, 10 or 11 minutes or whatever it was of the first. He may even play the entire first quarter. But they, they substantively change when you take a guy like Pat Beverly out and you bring a guy like Lou Will Williams in. Like, I can't think of more polar point guards. And so right. I think that the flow of the team changes with that. The flow of the team changes less when you decide which one's going to be your primary scorer, if it's Paul George or Kawhi. They, they get their buckets in the same places. Um, And so I think they're really interesting in that way. They're like, they have diametrically opposed pieces and they have unbelievably complementary pieces. They can change basically the trajectory of any game they want by bringing two players off the bench who are high octane offense while still maintaining two of the best perimeter defenders or three, if you count Beverly when he's in. And so like, I just think they're unique. I think their identity is that maybe they're a little bit of a chameleon and that ultimately sometimes it looks ugly and sometimes it looks really pretty. And like, that's, and why it's different when you juxtapose that with all these other teams we're talking about who, who like Mike said, or Pena said, he, he knows who they are. He knows what their core beliefs are uh, from a strategical standpoint.
1: It's funny. I, when you when you say that, I think of the Celtics, not the Clippers, the hmm. chameleon nature, and we talked just about them. Yeah. Um, I mean, to, you, my, to, to Pena's question about, like, what did you think their identity was defense? I mean, that seems like a relic of the preseason, right, where you look at, Oh, my God, they have Paul George and Kawhi. They have the best wing defensive tandem since Scotty and Michael. Mm-hmm. And they've got Beverly. And, you know, that how are you going to score on them? Blah, blah, blah. That seems to me like where that comes from. It should be noted that they've had a lot of weird injuries, some of mm-hmm. them that they thought they'd have and some of them that they didn't. Um, even mm-hmm. in the bubble, they had, obviously, the Lou Williams uh, strip club incident. And mm-hmm. Montrose Harrell, is personal tragedy, I think it's very clear he's not back to where he was understandably so. Mm-hmm. So, all this time that they were going to build a rhythm, I think a lot of it went out the window uh to some degree. When I watched them play defense, like the parts all fit but just this I wrote about it on the newsletter uh when looking at that Dallas game from game 4 and I saw a lot of that in the last two games against Denver, like they just sort of the communication levels aren't there, the familiarity isn't there. So they'll they'll freelance so much on defense. And not everyone's on the same page with how they're freelancing uh to some degree, and so it, it they are their transition defense is their weakest quality, and I think that's the area of the game where you need the most coordination i mean I don't think it's an accident that Boston's the best at this um mm-hmm. and when you look at their coach the time that their players spent together um the way that they like each other off the court you know the clippers haven't had that time and that's one thing if you have certain players, but again, you, I go back to Kawhi, who is, I think the, like Pena said, the best player in the league at this time of year. Like, I'm not really into ranking best players, but Pena said
0: I'm in the good. world he didn't qualify this time of year.
2: I did. I rank, even <laughs> though I just wrote a column saying that Jimmy Butler makes people who rank players look stupid. But uh, yes. yeah.
1: <laughs> They don't decide the title by ranking all the players on the team. That's how I look no. at it. Games are not decided that way, so why should yeah. we decide it that way? Right. Um But yeah, I, I think it's fairly clear, like, you know, big spot, you want him to have the ball. But he is sort of sometimes I think he kinda plays above his team. Like he's just he just sort of does his thing within, up from the team. Within the game. But yeah. also, I mean if you if you really rewind some of these defensive breakdowns A lot of them start from, and look, Kawhi is a great, amazing defender, and when he wants to be, and he has this sort of ability to read the game. A lot of it starts from Kawhi just sort of deciding he doesn't want to, he wants to switch assignments Mm mid-play, and it's not something that the rest of the team is necessarily hip to, especially in transition. And I noted again in the Dallas series, they don't. I think I took that for granted before the season, that that would be something that they would have trouble building because it's not Kawhi with a bunch of players who have played together for a really long time and have this incredible intelligence. It's Kawhi with new teammates. Uh, and like you said, I mean, it's not nothing that Lou Williams and Harrell play very differently than PG and Kawhi do. You know that That's a huge deal. And also, I mean, there's just a lot of cooks in the kitchen on that team. And there aren't a lot of players that are, like, kind of lubricators, I call them. That sounds very, very weirdly, vaguely sexual. Let's not call them that. I wouldn't say (laughs)
0: vaguely, Mike.
1: (laughs) Let's not call them that. Um, (laughs) There are not a lot of – I'm trying to think of, like, a player that – so I don't have to, like, kind (laughs) of – I don't have to – there are not a lot of uh, Robert Covingtons on that team. Uh, There are not a lot of, like, kind of – that's not even the best example, but, like, you know –
2: Connectors?
1: Yeah, they're not they're not a lot of connectors. There is to Ben's point a lot of scorers and defenders. And there's not a I mean, honestly, I think the best connector on that team is Avicha Zubac.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And he's been great in these playoffs. I mean at least he's been able to give them what they need when they need it from him because that's the other thing with Kawhi. You mentioned like he plays above his teammates. I think Kawhi plays separate from his teammates. I think he knows the parts of the game that are for him. And that, and that he knows that. Look, if we're going to win or lose on the ball in my hand in a mid-range jumper, and ultimately, like when he picks it up defensively, yeah, he's still unbelievable. I mean, he's still an amazing disruptor and and lockdown defender. And there's none, there's no conversation today about Kawhi's ability to guard the number one wing on a team like there was for maybe Giannis, and that's a positional relationship too. Right. Um. But yeah. I mean, I guess part of this is like Kawhi's played on three completely different teams in his career. There's, like, very little that ties together, San Antonio to the Raptors to the Clippers. See,
1: it's funny you say that. I actually think San Antonio and the Raptors are very similar. Really? In that, that, you know, this is a team, I mean, Toronto is a team that sort of has this great culture of development, has a lot of high IQ players, sort of, you need to be a certain type of player to fit in, and he's sort of, like, imported in to be the final piece.
0: Hmm. That's interesting, I guess, although I wouldn't, I don't know who the, the Spurs really imported in, I suppose. I mean, they had to develop. He's one of the developmental players. Yeah, I guess.
1: From- I guess like they imported Kawhi being a monster. Yeah, I
0: don't
2: okay. know. I would say also real quick, like the difference there is that the San Antonio Spurs essentially refused to cater to their talent. Yeah, and that's the reason why Kawhi left. Kawhi goes to Toronto and he becomes that he takes load management to the next level, and they cater to him in a way that makes everybody else upset. That carries over to the Clippers, who do the exact same thing. And there's these reports throughout the season that Montrezl Harrell and Lou Williams are like, man, last year's team was awesome, and everyone got along, and blah, blah, blah. So I do think there's some of that, to be to be sure. And, I mean, I think about Kawhi, like, uh, that clip, I don't know if you guys saw it, of him. Uh, it was like a week ago where he... Uh, it's a it's a decided game against the Mavericks, and he gives the ball up to Reggie Jackson, and Reggie yeah. Jackson just, like, is a complete idiot and loses the ball out of bounds. And then, like, the camera cuts to Kawhi, and he says something that I was kind of stunned that he said. And I was just like, oh, like, damn. Like, I didn't know Kawhi had, like, that in him. Um, okay, I, I don't really
0: shoot see- it. He said go shoot the fucking ball or something. <laughs> what no, said. what
1: I now I know what you're talking about. What did he say? He was like, That's why I don't pass I you the ball. Miss,
2: I didn't give up the fucking ball for that. That's, yeah, right, that's, that's right. what it was. <laughs> Which is an epic thing to say. Um and made me immediately be like, I used to wanna play with Kawhi if I was in the NBA and now i I'd be like deathly afraid of every time he touched he passed me the ball. Um so I don't really know what point I'm trying to make except that Kawhi is the Terminator and uh, scares the hell out of me. Um, but, but yeah, no, like, the difference between, I think there are differences between, to your point, Ben, like, mm-hmm. of the organizations and uh, and kind of his, him, like, floating above it all is really difficult for everyone else to come to terms with, I think.
0: Yeah. No, it's definitely a relationship. And this is where Doc comes in. He's probably the right coach for this. You know, between making your team feel like a team, cohesive through an entire season, that every practice is not some outlier of will Kawhi be practicing today or he's not playing tomorrow, so we'll give him two days off. Uh, PG had his injuries this year as well. Um, You know, and so it's, and then when you get the relationship to having such a good bench, you know, you can be a little bit more elastic with the time you're giving off. I mean, one thing that all three of these teams—the Spurs, the Raptors, and Clippers—have in common is depth. Um, did, I mean, there's no shortage of that. Obviously, the Raptors have overcome. Um, you know, with with the depth that they created last year, but I, I think there's also something to be said for the Kawhi started something, right? Look, the the Spurs didn't want to acquiesce. Load management's now just. Firmly a part of the NBA, and the Spurs were doing load management with guys like Tim Duncan and Ginobili before this, but never a singular star who was arguably the best player in the world taking this. In fact, if you look at Giannis right now, as his body is is breaking down, in Doncic's body, again, ankles are ankles, but they're more susceptible the weaker they get. There maybe is a relationship to not wanting to win 70 games or 65 games like the Bucks did, and every Euro step is a little bit more pressure on the right ankle. Of Giannis and that the NBA is changing around these things that work. This is why so many people are rooting against the Rockets while I root for them because, right, because people don't want to see a game like this become, you know, the preeminent style. Um, so I, I think it's definitely interesting to see like stylistic creativity and organizational willingness all coming to a head and it being all circulating around the same guy you know, two years in a row. And I can't think of a situation in NBA history where the same player was sort of the apex piece of the equation in the league for two different teams and two different conferences in back to back seasons. Maybe Mike, you know, maybe Pareto County's got a Rolodex in his head, but it just feels like we're in such uncharted waters when it comes to like yeah, maybe Kawhi just does play separately or above his yeah. team. Maybe that's the best way to win the title.
1: I mean, the only thing I can think of is obviously LeBron when he switched games, yeah. Durant, but it is a modern phenomenon. Now, all yeah. that said, and it's I think it's worth kind of going back to the original point that we mm-hmm. started with, they're up 2-1 on a Denver team that I think we've seen has got, is a pretty good team, yeah, maybe they're... not a team that they should be struggling with, i Kind of disagree. I think Denver's pretty good, and a tricky matchup for the Clippers. But still, they face. I think Dallas was, I think, the best team that lost in the first round. Is that a fair point? Yeah. I yeah think when,
0: when, so. when they had when they had healthy, yeah.
1: I think that, Dallas. You know, you look at their point differential; they were much better team than the record. I mean, that's a really tough first round matchup. They did eventually put them away, so it might not be so bad. Really, I mean, it seems like they're still in pretty good position. I just think that all the stuff we're talking about is just built into what their package is. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't, they, I think that they, if you look at it too, like Kawhi is probably their best passer too. I mean, like that's not, and I, that, that's a weakness, right? You know, and he's improved his passing like, I think considerably this year. I think it's been the biggest growth in his game. And I think it's no accident that Zubac has played the best with him because, you know, his pick and role play has really improved. But I, I don't think a team ideally wants him to be their best passer, right? They, that's just right. not that, – so that's a weakness. Um, and like we said, they sort of don't have those sort of glue pieces that connect everybody together other than, I think, Zubac. I mean, some of the – they have good role players. I think Landry Shamick could have been that. I think they were expecting more from him this year, and it just hasn't happened. Um, so they, that's a weakness. Those are things that they need to overcome. They're not as easy, as simple as, like, kind of the names on the back of the jerseys. But, I mean, that's why I think Clippers-Celtics would be such an interesting finals matchup, because you've got one team that has more talent, but it's has trouble fitting it all together. Whereas I think Boston, their best players fit together so well. And I think you look at their depth, it's not quite where it's at, Um, what's going to matter. So, I don't know, I just think that, I think that's, if you're asking, like, why the Clippers seem to be sleepwalking? I think the best best answer is that, you know, despite the fact that they have a lot of names, they don't have a super cohesive team. And that's just, that's the bet they've made. They've got so much talent. Um, They can, you know, they have great one-on-one defenders, but they don't have guys that kind of connect the team together. And that's just... Why it sometimes looks amazing, and sometimes looks a little bit underwhelming. I don't know, to me that's just, that's a, that's a part of
2: what the team is. No, and like, real quick, it's like the, if you're comparing the Clippers to the Lakers, real quick, it's like both teams basically added, uh, basically reshuffled their entire rosters. Um, LeBron was there the previous year, but they add AD, they're completely different. And, like, the difference in – and this is, like, this thing I wrote, Mike, for SB Nation about, like, chemistry and and this thing that's, like, really fascinates me. But it's, like, LeBron – things kind of come together and everyone knows what they're supposed to do and and how they're supposed to behave in the hierarchy of the team um, with LeBron on the team. And – like, Kawhi is just as good as LeBron right now, but the Clippers don't have that at all because Kawhi's personality is not even close to the same as LeBron's. And that kind of matters at the end of the day. I don't know how you quantify it. You probably can't, but I think it does matter.
0: That's interesting. I mean, that's something that, that that goes to, like, do you want your best player to be your vocal leader? And is that even the best recipe? Sometimes it is. Other times it's Draymond and Steph, right? Like, I, I guess it's like, that is where LeBron has always been into himself, both things, you know, the, the guy who is curating the team chemistry off the court as well as on, uh, obviously Kawhi, I don't know him on a personal level as well as Pina does, but I don't think he's that guy who's like pool party at my place, you know, <laughs> like, you know, come to my room. Maybe, the the maybe
2: not right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like we're going, we're going fishing out at Epcot today, everyone. And, uh, but no, that's,
2: yeah. So it's like I, I, you know, I interviewed for a bunch of people. Not like, I've interviewed people who work for the Lakers and work for the Clippers about the chemistry thing, and it's like uh, with the Lakers, it's like team dinners, we love it, love being around each other. Clippers, it's like, man, we are around each other so much already. And, you know, like, we need time with our families, and that's what we really prioritize, is the sense that you get from talking to people from both organizations. <laughs> so, like, I don't really know if that, you know, you listen to, like, Stan Van Gundy or Jeff Van Gundy, and they don't care about any of this, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it kind of does matter. And I say this as someone who thinks that the Clippers, if they were to play in a series, would beat the Lakers in, like, five games. But, like, <laughs> I just think this stuff does matter. Well, it's, it's funny. I mean,
1: even going back to those great Celtics teams of the 60s, didn't they used to say, like, 15 players, 15 cabs, <laughs> right? Like, didn't they weren't, – weren't they famous for, like, not really socializing? Well, uh, well, that was kind of like the 80s Celtics,
2: more so than the 60s. Teams.
1: Okay, so maybe that's what I'm thinking of. But so it's interesting that – you know they seem to work so well on the court and yet they didn't hang out but you know you're right the time off the court and what's also funny about oh, it's going to be great if these teams match up and you know we'll see if Houston has something to say about that is perhaps LeBron's ability to marshal everyone together allows them to achieve a baseline level of proficiency but you know the big question with the Lakers is do they have the talent to jump up a level in the playoffs do they have too many guys like the Bucks who are too one-dimensional. Um, you know, do they have? Do they play too bigs? This rigid style. Like, can, do they have another gear? Whereas the Clippers were saying, like, man, their first gear is really weird and strange, but they certainly got that second gear. Right. Um, so it's sort of an interesting kind of goes back to this question of regular season versus playoffs, goes back to matchups. Some of it I think also has to do with the, the type of secondary star that they have. I mean, PG and Kawhi have much more overlapping skill sets than LeBron and A D. Um but a lot of it is what you're talking about. I mean LeBron has been very focused this year on the Lakers chemistry.
0: Can I also just add to like the wing scoring And dribble penetration slash high pick and roll ability to use that screen for a shot that's a high percentage shot is not something the Bucs have. So they're not either of these teams when it comes to schematic, like, defensive tactics. Like, I, I guess I keep coming back to this, but, like, this entire playoffs has been dominated by guys like Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum and Kawhi Leonard and Jamal Murray and, like, Mitchell. And there's one thing they all have in common. They can dribble and create their own shot as well as, hit an open shot as well and attack the basket. And, like, Giannis, if you get him to shoot a three, congratulations, good work on D. If you get him to pass the ball to wide open so congratulations, good work on D. And so, like, I just think it's just, like, there's there's just something else to, like, the way that we need to re-perceive winning basketball now that has been happening for years, but now has been, like, through a, uh, you know, a, um, a light speed, you know, mm-hmm. Fast forward, and again, part of that is everyone's shooting better and decision-making's being a little bit more crisp because there's no crowds. And I think refereeing has been a little bit more even-handed. And, like, all those things, I think, matter right now, and we're seeing the fruits of it, which is wings and guards are just completely dominating right now. That's why when a guy like Zubek even plays 20 good minutes, everyone's like, yeah, he's a huge part of the team again. Like, this guy had a great series. And it's like, yeah, he's a starting center in the NBA. He should get 10 and 10. With the opportunities he's getting,
2: Z- Zubac is good, man. Did you I think hear, he's good too. Did you guys hear last night Kevin Harlan call him uh, Zubaca? Well, <laughs> it was after the poster donkey had in the fourth quarter, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> That was a great. That was a great nickname. I thought about tweeting that because it's like I you need to it was pick that mistake? up.
2: And then I was like, that's not his name. What is going on? It's just like Kevin Harlan being a genius.
0: Yeah, just in the moment genius and half of us watching being like, that's not how you pronounce
1: it. (laughs) Speaking of that crew, did you do you notice how every time Reggie Miller talks about Nikola Jokic, he says the Joker, Nikola Jokic did this. He always says the Joker first. It's like he's reminding himself that like the Joker is Jokic. Like that's his pronunciation. Like it's always every single time. It's great branding.
0: It's definitely recognition so he doesn't screw it up and pronounce it correctly. <laughs> you know, it's we all have our little cues to, to make sure we remember. I mean, like, names are getting harder to say in the NBA. Uh, there are guys like Giannis who have last names that still, to this day, no one on the TNT set can pronounce except for uh, Ernie. So, like, you know, he's only the best player in the league for two straight years, but it's cool. Like, no yeah, one's known how to say his name. <laughs> so uh, if it takes a mnemonic device for Reggie Miller to be able to pronounce uh, an all-star center's name, then, like, I'm for it. All right.
1: Well, with that, uh, let's. I want to kick it back to Michael Pina. Uh, mm-hmm. If you have any final thoughts uh, on these playoffs and what we've talked about, uh, I think it's been a really interesting conversation. I just love how open these playoffs have been.
2: Playoffs have been fun. Um, I mean, I just don't want to. I'm a very superstitious person when it comes to all this. So, like all of the Celtics talk that. We had today, I hope, does not come back to bite me um, <laughs> at all. So that's a little bit on the forefront of my mind, and I'm worried about it. Um, but no, playoffs have been, like, super fun. And I know that we weren't really able to talk about the Lakers-Rockets series because that game is tonight. But that series has been probably the one I think about more than any other. And is a. it's just like I think that that's going to go seven. And is fascinating on like a million different levels. So that's, that's going to be a fun one too. You
1: just had a 538 piece on the Rockets, right? That just went up.
2: Yeah, it's really funny. Um, I guess this is inside writer baseball, whatever, but like wanted to do a story about their new starting five because it was really interesting to me. And, um, cause I always thought that the starting five was like, The reason why it was like the reason why I picked them to not initially win the title because Covington wasn't on the team, but when you have Gordon, Westbrook, Harden, plus two shooters who are also really good defenders, that lineup on paper is like excellent, right? Mm -hmm. And then I'm like looking, I'm like writing this really positive uh, piece. Like the pitch was like, yeah, this lineup is like the reason why the Rockets are gonna win it all. And I'm like going through the data, and I'm like, man, Russell Westbrook is just like really dragging this lineup <laughs>
1: down. <laughs> yeah, that's always the problem of like writing assignments for like when the news changes so quickly, like in the playoffs. Like his game
2: two just completely ruined everything. So yeah, framed the whole piece. Um, so shout out to Russ. Uh, <laughs> no, like yeah, their starting five is 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 fascinating to me. And I think we'll eventually see uh, Frank Vogel switch up his starting five to kind of match up with them a little bit better.
0: Yeah, he already eliminated Dwight from the rotation. It's little things, right? Each game will be a little bit smaller progression. For, for Claims
2: that he did not mean to, but Marquis Morris was playing so well. Wait, that wait ben, ben, did you say the rotation?
0: <laughs> yeah, good head. That's how I remember how to say his name. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so, you say, no.
2: d- so you have to say
1: DeRoz. The the I can't even say it the way Man, you said it. Cross yourself right there. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: no, but, yeah, I, I I agree with Pina, By the way, I've been completely entertained and also like consumed with thinking about this Lakers Rockets because I feel like there's just long term yes. ramifications of anything the Rockets do at this point. Um, just given like the trajectory, everything we've talked about, of the league and the way that they've, again, that Maury seems to figure out little things like, hey, Covington's a really, really good, whatever you call them, like Lubricator. Um, and, then, and, then, and then
2: ultimately, though, it's let's,
0: like...
1: Let's scratch that name. Okay, director, fine, fine. <laughs> he's, a good,
0: he's a good guy. He's, he's definitely the type of player that if you watch him play enough, you like him more and not less. And that's the same thing with P.J. Tucker. And I think the other part of this is both L.A. teams came into this season with really high expectations. Arguably that they were going to meet in the Western Conference finals almost regardless of everything else. And then to see a team like Denver and a team like the Rockets, who are very different in their own right, but push these teams in completely different ways is great. Stylistically, it's awesome. And then the last part of it is Russ has been like a bretzel on steroids in a negative sense, and yet they're still right in this. And you can see with just like a slightly better game from him or one where he decides to attack the rim instead of taking the open three that they win last game. Two. Like, he doesn't test game five. He doesn't. put. there was a play where he went up uh, baseline last game. Just game he, two, you're saying? Game two. Sorry, game two. Yeah. yeah, game three all happened. In game two, he went baseline, left corner to right. And LeBron gave a half ass if he wasn't going to go meet him at the rim. And Russ, in a normal sense, like three, four years ago, two hand yokes on him, just like cocks back and dunks right on him. And, he, and you could tell that LeBron wasn't going to contest. And the Russ went for like a half ass uh, reverse layup and missed it. And I thought to myself, "Wow, either he doesn't have the spring anymore, or like Pina just said, he doesn't trust it. If he goes up for it, he's gonna get to the point he needs." And that goes hand in hand with pulling up for threes, taking jump shots, it means he doesn't get to the free throw line, means he doesn't get to the rim, which means Russell Westbrook doesn't really have much of a flow or, or sense on on the offensive side of the ball um, or defense for that matter for the Rockets. And so, you know, then and plus Eric Gordon's playing great, and so like that's your secondary score from the guard position. Who can shoot grease? Yeah. More to come on that, I'm sure, in the next uh, pot or two. Yeah.
1: I will say, you know, maybe this is, there's a lot of noise to this effect within the league, and, you know, maybe there's something to it. And But I just think everyone's being a little prison of the moment by saying this is like a battle for the future style of basketball. Like, I just, I can't see teams replicating what Houston does so easily.
0: I mean, the Celtics don't do a far off version, right? But like, Tice isn't. A center.
1: Yeah, but the well, the cells actually move. On yeah, 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 that's
0: they, true. That's true. That's true.
1: They don't just stand there. Like I don't know. Maybe I maybe I yeah. just maybe I'm wrong, and maybe like if Houston no, I mean,
2: succeeds, if, like if Houston wins the championship, which is definitely a possibility, and five thirty-eight, I think has them number one or number two and yeah. odds to win it all. Um, I mean, we've already seen it financially, right? Like the teams do not value monetarily the. the Five men who can't shoot threes. Mm-hmm. So right, well, that, that'll just get accelerated, and there will be guys who are no longer in the league when their current contracts expire. Totally, um, which is that's what it is. That's evolution.
1: But is is that okay? The last thing I know, we all have to go. But is that really what we're saying? We are saying Houston may change the trajectory? I mean that that trend's going to happen whether they win or not. I thought it was more like. Man, accelerate it! Yeah, Yeah, I thought it was more like, oh, we're gonna have one ISO score and everyone else is just gonna stand around watching him. No, Mm because Harden is Harden,
0: right? Mm -hmm. One James Harden.
1: Yeah, and and we're gonna go six, seven, and under. Like instead of we're gonna try to find really good shooting big men or guys Mm -hmm. like Bam Adebayo, and we're gonna move a lot. Um, All right, so maybe Mm -hmm. I'm like misunderstanding the conversation because I think if if it's like just like, oh, we're you can't have fives men who can't shoot. I think we're going to get there regardless of what happens to Houston.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll talk about that another time. I used to uh, be the, the uh, head of uh, a basketball league for six feet and under in Los Angeles. So maybe well, the NBA is just moving to a slightly graduated uh, version of that, six, seven <laughs> and under. Um, but I uh, will say also, last thing on that, PJ Tucker and Covington are unique body builds too. There aren't a whole lot of them in the NBA. Here, so. Are there any
1: other of them? <laughs>
0: uh,
1: I don't know if there are any other of them.
0: Yeah. Right, right. So, like, they have a lot of pretty singular guys, yeah. and good on Moray for figuring out how to get them all about, in the same roster.
1: Yeah, by the way, PJ Tucker's 35, um, so I don't know how much longer he's got. But also, I mean, this is what I read about in February, like ball containment is rim protection.
0: Yep, yep, the totally.
1: bottom line. Anyway, this has been a great first episode with Blue Wire. Thanks to Michael Pina. Who, uh, anything else you got coming that you want to plug? I assume you're going to have three things out tomorrow and five
2: things out on Friday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> just not sleeping at the moment. Um, not sleeping, <clears throat> drinking a lot of coffee. Like it's four o'clock and you guys can see like it's really out of control. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, I have nothing specifically to, to plug because it's constantly changing in my life. <laughs> it's,
1: it's, it's too bad we don't have a um, video option on this podcast because we would have missed a, uh, Pina's wife uh, giving him the coffee run in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> kind of like that clip of – what's that news clip where the guy comes in and is like yeah, the, the baby's with the kids? Yeah. <laughs> I, just,
0: I think of this as like uh, – Pina's like the soccer player who goes down and like someone comes in with the spray. They're just like, spray the leg, spray the leg. <laughs> All right, he's good to go. Get him back in there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Ben, uh, yep. I have – take care. I've got – I actually have a 530 piece I'm working on the WNBA, which I really need to start. Uh, that's going to come out right when their playoffs begin. That I'm really cool. excited about. Uh, and other than that, just I got the book.
0: Yeah, the book, the book man.
1: man. Got the book to start. So I don't
0: have I don't have anything either, by the way. But if you want insightful um, comparisons of tennis and basketball, come find me on Twitter.
1: Where you never tweet.
0: Well, I never tweet, but I do occasionally because I love tennis and I love basketball, and I, I think they're really similar in the f- way that no okay. fans okay. have affected Sa- save,
1: save this for Twitter. Please. We'll save it. That'll save be the first Twitter, 10 minutes
0: please. of next pod. Yeah. Yeah, okay. All, right, All right.
1: Thank you guys so much. This has been the Limited Upside Podcast. The wait is finally over. Football is back. Holy crap, football is back. That that really snuck up on me. Anyway, you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get on the on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get on on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all those great sign-up bo- bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, all one word. Bet online your online sports experts.